0: Hi guys. Welcome to episode nine of the Irish Balance podcast. We're absolutely flying through it. My name is Kira. If you haven't heard of me or my podcast before, I'm an Irish girl, Boston born and a qualified medical doctor. I'm currently doing a one year full-time master's in public health and nutrition at UCD in Dublin. I started my blog, The Irish Balance in 2016, And my social media platforms on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook have grown since then. And the reason I started my blog is because I'm really passionate about preventative medicine, public health, and health promotion, particularly how our lifestyles affect our health through the food we eat, physical activity, managing our stress, sleep hygiene, and our social well-being. And I use my social media platforms, my blog, and now my podcast to show you how we can empower ourselves to live happy, healthy lifestyles that are full of balance and not radical restrictive changes. I do really hope you're enjoying this first series of my podcast as much as I'm loving creating it. Today's topic, like all of them, is one that's very close to my heart. And today we're going to talk about exercise, but we're going to talk about a very specific aspect of exercise and that's resistance training and why it's so important. And on that same train of thought, we're also going to discuss why it's really important for healthy aging. It's often said that if we could wrap up the vast benefits the physical activity has for our physical and mental health into a little tiny pill, we would all take it in a heartbeat every single day. We'd be the most compliant patients in the world. And yet we do know that the majority of Western society live quite sedentary lifestyles, which are overly inactive and not active enough. Therefore, now, in fairness, there's been a very huge and welcome focus in the last couple of years on this aspect of health and it's been widely promoted and there's been a lot of campaigns and strategies and even TV programs for example Operation Transformation in Ireland encouraging people to get more active. There's also been a huge rise in wearable fitness tracking devices so some of you might have a Fitbit or a Garmin or an Apple Watch which tracks your steps every day. Most phones have that built into them at this stage which you know Aside from people's concerns about technology monitoring every aspect of our lives, it is positive because we can use it for positive change. You might have seen a lot of talk about 10,000 steps a day, or even simply just in encouragement to find the exercise that you love doing and stick to it, which you will definitely have heard from me. I welcome all of this awareness because in my book, any shift in our public mindset to normalize an active lifestyle and denormalize sedentary or overly sitting behavior is a positive. We do have quite a wealth of data at this stage indicating that prolonged sedentary behaviour is quite harmful to our health and is quite significant as a risk factor for various causes of mortality. And since that's a modifiable risk factor, I think it's really important that we talk about it and promote it as much as we can. So as a doctor, I of course like to be aware of what the guidelines say and I like to be able to discuss them with patients and with you guys because however broad Guidelines might be, they do generally represent an evidence based type of advice that we can give, which is generalizable and therefore can also be adapted to each patient's abilities. In terms of physical activity, I've spoken a lot before about our national guidelines for our aerobic activity, so that's our cardiovascular type activity. Many of you might have seen the recommendations that we follow from the World Health Organization of 150 minutes of moderate intensity activity per week, or Even more commonly described is 30 minutes, five days a week. Moderate intensity activity is that type of activity where you can talk, but you can't sing. So for example, a brisk walk is the probably best example we can give. We can also advise 75 minutes of vigorous activity per week in place of that 150 minutes. The key with this vigorous activity though, is that you can't talk. So that might be kind of a harder run or a spin class or something like that. Now, I do think that there is a much, much greater awareness about those particular guidelines or that particular aerobic aspect of physical activity, particularly as walking as an activity is free. It's accessible to so many of us. It's literally on our doorstep and we can do it with friends, with family, or bring a podcast, such as this one, uh, music, or an audiobook with us. Many people are part of cycling groups or they might be part of running groups or enjoy these things on their own. And of course, there's a huge amount of um, sports activities in Ireland and then internationally as well. But how good is our awareness of the other part of our physical activity guidelines? So if you're listening, whether you're a doctor, healthcare professional or outside of this field entirely, do you know what that second part is? So it's all about resistance training. So to give you the Irish guidelines, and it's pretty similar in the UK, for adults aged between 18 and 65, it's advised that as well as your aerobic activity, so your 150 minutes moderate intensity per week, it's advised to include activity that improves muscular strength and balance on at least two days of your week, so i.e. at least two sessions per week. And the advice along this train of thought is similar if you're over 65. And like I say, in the UK, the guidance is pretty similar. But personally, I just don't see hear or feel the strength and balance component of those guidelines being promoted or emphasized enough and I've been trying to figure out why that is and I did write about this on the blog last year that was prompted by um, an epic review by Public Health England published in June last year which highlighted the importance of muscle and bone strengthening and balance activities for adults young and old. Some key points made by this review that I'll share with you were that Public Health England, who I have a huge amount of respect for, said alongside aerobic exercise such as brisk walking, all adults should be aiming to do strengthening and balancing activities twice per week. They said on average, we're all living longer and the mixture of physical activities that this provides helps us stay well in our youth and remain independent as we age. Hold on to that word for a few minutes, independent. They also said, it's clear that we need to give equal weighting to activities that boost muscle and bone strength and improve balance rather than simply focusing on aerobic exercise. And finally, they've said there is significant potential to make savings to health and social care services if we do more to promote these muscle strengthening and balance activities and recognize their role in helping keep us healthy and, keyword, independent for longer, particularly as we age. To give you examples, they found the most benefit from activities such as ball games, racket sports, dance, so samba, anyone, Nordic walking and resistance training. And that included both weight and body weight based resistance training, therefore not necessarily requiring a gym. They highlighted that this gives us the best chance at healthy aging and remaining functionally, keyword independent, as we age. So that really stuck with me because at the time I was just finishing up my last rotation in the hospital before my master's and... It occurred to me over the previous three years how much frailty I had seen in our aging population that had presented to the acute hospital setting where I was working. Frailty is a huge risk factor for falls, fractures, disability, and even mortality. And if we have something that we know reduces and prevents it, or at least works towards that outcome, why wouldn't we talk about it and promote it? And that was why I wrote about it on my blog at the time. You know, that quote, be the change you wish to see in the world and all that. So I'm going to try and get two key messages across to you guys in this podcast, why strength and balance activities are important, i.e. why we should be doing them regularly. And then secondly, and my favorite thing to do is leave you guys with actionable tips, but how you can find a way to fit them in that works for you. So number one, why are they important? I recently went to a really excellent talk on nutrition for healthy aging in UCD, which was given by Professor Helen Roach in UCD. And they're doing some really amazing work over there looking at elderly populations and malnutrition and protein supplementation. And she highlighted the importance of resistance training as we age, as well as our aerobic activity, because we naturally lose our lean muscle mass as we age at a rate of about 1% per year, once we go above the age of 50, according to her talk. And that's known as sarcopenia or the loss of lean muscle tissue. Like I said, it occurs at an average rate of about 1% per year and our strength loss is about 3% per year. Now, the beauty is that resistance training can ameliorate that decline. Other health benefits that have been proven by evidence-based research of resistance training include better bone mineral density, muscle quality, muscle strength. If you have diabetes, your insulin sensitivity is better better functioning of our brain, better sleep, blood pressure, lower back pain risks, risks of colon cancer, even for mental health, reduced depression, better self-esteem, reduced fear of falling. I think that pretty much speaks for itself. If you guys like TED Talks, there is a fantastic TED Talk um, called Muscle Matters given by Dr. Brendan Egan, who's an Associate Professor of Sports and Exercise Physiology at DCU in Dublin. It's really awesome. I highly recommend checking it out. Now, Professor Roach highlighted that sarcopenia is a concern because it can lead to physical disability, falls, reduced quality of life, risk of death, difficulty performing what's called our activities of daily living. So simple things like being able to take a shower on your own or carry your shopping up the stairs or even go shopping in the first place. All of those can result in a loss of independence. Therefore, needing someone to look after you as you get older and even earlier in life if we don't do something about it. The thing about sarcopenia is that you can't necessarily see it. And because overweight and obesity is so increasingly prevalent in our society, we can also see a condition known as sarcopenic obesity, whereby we have an excess of fat mass because obviously it's obesity. Therefore there's an elevated amount of fat mass in the body, but we can also have that associated with sarcopenia where you've got a loss of lean muscle mass. So Someone might look like they're overnourished, but in fact, their muscle mass is declining. We also know that as we age, our response to eating protein isn't as good as when we were younger. It's a concept called anabolic resistance, but it basically means that if I, as a girl in my late twenties, ate a protein meal, my Nana, for example, could eat the same meal and wouldn't build muscle in response to that protein as I would which is why the work Professor Roach and the ECD group are doing is so interesting because they're looking at how they can try and circumvent that, maybe by eating more or by adding resistance training to elderly populations or protein supplementation outside of meals also. So, strength and balance for independence. That's why it's so important. We all know modern medicine has brought us many wonderful things and among that is a vast array of medicines that allows us to live a lot longer. And as a result, worldwide, we have become an aging population. And therefore, we also live longer with conditions that can't be cured. So chronic non-communicable conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, cancer, arthritis. We know that as we age, we become increasingly frail too. And sarcopenia is a driver of this. Loss of strength can affect our balance and predisposes to falls and therefore injuries, for example, fractures. And I really think that that is the most important point regarding the emphasis we should be giving resistance training, how much of that frailty is preventable? Because anyone who's worked in a hospital setting or outside of the hospital will know how totally life-changing a fall, a bad fall can be for a person, both physically and mentally, it can result in physical injuries, fear of falling, and really, really badly impacted emotional well-being on the patient and their family and friends. Being able to perform those ADLs, those activities of daily living that I talked about, is a key indicator that we do look at in patients in and outside the hospital. So that's, like I said, being able to dress yourself, manage your hygiene needs, and just getting from A to B to do your shopping or your cooking. And an inability to manage our own ADLs is a really big indicator of our functional capacity and therefore independence. So, what can we do? Because, as I said in the introduction, My platform is all about providing you with empowerment based on the science that's out there and translating it into ways that you can make change in your life. The two more broad societal issues I see in terms of getting this message out there is awareness among maybe healthcare professionals and the public and the capacity to implement changes. So, for example, maybe referring an elderly person to a physiotherapist for exercises to build their strength. Just awareness would also help that too. The data tells us that when we expose individuals to strength training programs, we do see increases in muscle mass and increases in strength. But of course, there's a lot of barriers to getting people to engage at resistance training. Motivation, time constraints, physical limitations, fear, uncertainty, and sometimes affordability in terms of gym or sports club memberships. And aside from all that, as I've said before, behavior and attitude changes are complex and do take time. But if I and you and we don't shout out about it, this key public health issue that we have the power to reduce and ideally prevent, we won't start change. So we should start checking. So part two, what can you do? So if you're reading this and thinking of yourself or a relative, here's some really simple things you can do for positive change in the context of strength, resistance training, and reducing sarcopenia today. First, look at what you can do. So you personally or your relative, can you afford a gym or do you enjoy ball or racket sports? If neither tickles your fancy, then body weight exercises, which was actually discussed in Dr. Egan's TED Talk, are just as good for seeing positive changes. What sort of exercises am I talking about? Things you can do in your kitchen while the kettle boils. Push-ups, squats, tricep dips, the plank, all really free, very accessible, and really feasible to do on a regular basis wherever you are. I boil the kettle like, you know, three or four times a day. So maybe doing 10 squats every time the kettle's boiling, that's a really simple place to start. So look at how you can do it. Second, the research has shown that even minimal doses of resistance training, so for example, 10 exercises performed for a single set of squats, maybe done twice a week and do that for three exercises. Even a minimal dose of a simple set of exercises might be all that's needed for positive health benefits, i.e. maintaining or even increasing muscle mass and strength. The how is a really important aspect because you need to look at when you can fit it into your week. So those minimum two sessions per week and making sure that you're doing it safely, which I will get to in a later point, and making sure that when you're doing it is a time you can stick to regularly. So number three is look at how safely you can do it. So if you have an existing health condition or maybe um, a musculoskeletal niggle injury, and even if you don't, it's a good idea to check in with your GP or a physio or even a trainer at your local sports club or gym to make sure you're medically cleared to start a resistance program. Obviously your doctor, if you're looking for medical clearance. And if it is a gym or a club you're joining, it's a really fantastic idea to speak with a trainer there to ensure that your form and technique are correct, because you want to make sure that you're not putting yourself at risk of injury if you're starting uh, a new form of exercise. Number three or four, oh my God, number four, I'm going through these so quickly, is look at where you can do it. So as we've talked about, is that going to be a gym or a sports club or at home? For example, there's lots and lots of YouTube resources now and even fitness apps that I've seen so many people get huge benefit from. Whatever the location, make sure that it's accessible to you and an environment you're not afraid of. And like I've said, one that you enjoy going to regularly because there's no point going to a gym and signing up and paying all that money if you aren't a gym lover. You'll just do much better off sticking with what you enjoy. And then Finally, look at who you can do it with. If you have a family member, a partner or a friend who's keen to make similar changes, having a buddy is such a great motivation for sticking to workouts, particularly if you struggle with getting yourself there because you get to keep each other going, check in with how you're feeling and most importantly, inspire each other on the days you find it hardest to stick to your good intentions. Phew! So we have packed a lot into that episode, guys. Just to summarize, I really do believe that similarly to the emphasis we give to aerobic activity and discussing even the benefits of walking, we should as doctors be talking about and prescribing strength and balance activities to patients too. And as a public health advocate, it's something that I'm definitely going to keep talking about. I would really love to hear what your thoughts are on whether we discuss this area enough or your experience with strength training or your thoughts maybe and how it's affected people you know. And would love to hear your feedback as always. So drop me a comment on this podcast, drop me an email or comment or DM me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You know where to find me. And I look forward to chatting to you guys um, in episode 10. Bye.